Welcome back to the Multipod. This is episode 54. Thank you as always for taking the time to join us and share your time with us. Today we return to a topic we have looked at before. We're exploring remote living, rural life, country life, life in a little more isolation than most of us experience most of the time. And to do so, we'll be joined by Marie, who lives in rural Tennessee with her husband and their 12-year-old daughter, and has lots of background on this topic to share with you, both her life right now and her childhood growing up in the wilds of Minnesota. We explore how she's able to make a living, living where she does, but also the fruits of what a rural life can bring, in other words, the time to work on many projects. Marie has recently published a book, She is a very active artist. She has a blog where she pursues some of her photography and talks about a whole number of uh, interesting topics. And, of course, in raising their daughter, she can relate to that experience of being fairly removed from the nearest school, so having to do a fair bit of homeschooling over the years. And anyone who's done that themselves as a parent or has been schooled that way as a child can certainly relate as well. So it's a comprehensive engaging and relaxed conversation. You will hear some chickens, some dogs in the background, and it's all part of the fun of connecting to that wonderful rural life. And we hope you enjoy it. So the thinking behind this episode started with uh, an ongoing curiosity about the experience of remote living. Uh, Building on the episode we did with Alberto about a year ago, it was episode number 34 of the Multipod, talking about his life in the remote Lofton Islands off the coast of Norway. It was a great episode, lots of fun, and you really get the capture the experience of of his life. So I certainly recommend taking a listen if you haven't already. We'll put the link here in our show notes. But um, on that theme, now Mary Lamb of the Putty Tribe joins me today. And you certainly appear to fit that bill. I mean, not just in your current life in your, quote, semi-wild area of Tennessee, but somewhat in your childhood as well, growing up in the wilds of Minnesota, at times uh, hours from the nearest store. So that's what brought me to approaching you to explore this topic some more. And first of all, Mary, how are you doing? I'm good. Uh, Thank you for inviting me and getting through the Troubled with our internet access out here in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's all part of the fun of, uh, again, it comes back to this topic because as we'll learn about your your life and uh, and where you are. But uh, again, in the in rural Tennessee, so we can't always rely on, on steady internet and things like that. But so far, so good. Now, uh, you said we may hear some chickens or dogs and, then, and other birds, I'm sure, in the background, but uh, definitely part of the experience. Well, I did listen to the one about Alberto, and wow, I I wondered if I qualified. He's really remote living. But then uh, yeah, that's true. in this day and age, it comes down to a couple of things. Do you have electricity? Do you have internet? How far is the nearest gas or grocery station? Mm-hmm. Uh, that has all changed over time as well. I mean, 20 years ago, living in Arbo Township in Minnesota, we didn't have internet. We barely had newspaper. We wouldn't know if something happened for days unless we went into town, and then it was still. And that was still quite a drive from where you were back then, right, in Minnesota? I looked up on the maps now, and it said it's only about a half-hour drive. And it felt like much longer as a child, and it goes up one way, crosses the Prairie River, and goes back down another way. Only one road in and out, 
I remember we would be there for weeks at a time. In the summer, we'd be there all summer. Yeah, I remember Alberto talking about that, how it was a big impact on their decision to move there from Spain. And, I mean, they knew it was remote and all the rest, but, you know, they kind of needed to have internet and, and to feel connected, at least to some extent. So it uh, it was part of the considerations, which which we have the luxury of doing, of course, in this day and age, um, and not really all that long, you know, maybe, I guess, maybe 10 or 15 years, really, that um, these kinds of connections, especially internet, have become more stable, and we're still expanding the high-speed connections, for sure. So... At any rate, I mean, uh, I'm certainly curious, as we always are, about the members of the Putty Tribe. We like to get to know them on this show and curious about your life in general, the various interests and activities you pursue, such as your art and your book, the book you wrote, uh, certainly your day job in, in kitchen and bath design, the business you have therein, your uh, experience with synesthesia, and whatever else fills in the lots of learning goals uh, that you have. However, we're also recording this in mid-March of 2020. And in a matter of the past few days, everyone's world has suddenly changed as we deal with the coronavirus. There's far too much unknown right now to be able to predict or even understand what's happening and what's going to happen over the coming weeks and months. However, one theme emerging from the mass self-isolation and even quarantine is the experience of living a more remote existence. A lot more people are going to start experiencing this in some shape or form. Um, not necessarily completely cut off and isolated, but far quieter, at least on the surface of it, than we're used to, you know, less social, less social interaction than usual. So, so I mean, we can't uh, av- avoid that. It's, it's a part of our lives, certainly for the moment. Um, it's going to be an interesting theme to explore here and a subtext, I'm sure, to much of our conversation. And if you're listening to this far in the future then, I mean, you know far, far more than we do right now, so bear with us. Um, We're kind of in the dark here about how this is going to evolve, but, you know, you can also perceive a conversation like this as an interesting snapshot of a moment in time in the midst of of so many uncertainties. So that's uh, kind of underpinning our conversation here, too. Well, at any rate, uh, Mary, tell us a bit about where you live now and where you're from and what took you from there to here. Well, I was from Minnesota about 300 miles south of the Canadian border where you're at. Yeah. And rural farm life there. And uh, sometimes we'd go to my mom's house in the city. So, And I went to Fargo from there. Jumped out. Fargo was the big city for me. Fargo, North Dakota. It had museums. It had giant libraries. It had internet access. And it, it just felt like the big city to me. It had sure. a Barnes and Noble. I hadn't seen a Barnes and Noble. <laughs> and this was back in 1998. So, And uh, my husband at the time had a computer job and wanted to move south to work with some other people down here. And we did. He moved back to Minnesota a few years later, and I stayed down here. Hmm. Uh, what you were saying earlier about being trapped for several weeks, isolated for several weeks, you know, just a couple of years ago, I live 20 mi- minutes now from any city that I want to go to, which are all small cities, but that feels like a luxury. And a couple of years ago, we did not get to do that. We had an ice in that lasted for two weeks. So. Okay, interesting. And, you know, you scrounge the cupboards, you figure out what to do. The electricity goes on and off. So yeah. I've actually had a bit more experience with that lately than I wanted. So we'll see what happens with this next thing going on. 
Yeah, for sure. So whereabouts are you living now in, in Tennessee? What corner of the state? We are in northwest Tennessee. Hmm. We are west of Nashville and okay. east of Memphis. Like I said, there's a city at least 20 minutes drive in any direction from me. But out here, there are cities all over the place compared to Minnesota. Yeah, that's true. I look at the place in Minnesota I grew up and the map is almost blank compared <laughs> to here. Do you live on kind of a homestead kind of thing or are you like do you have like a large property? Is it it's a pretty rural like home that you have? Yeah, we have 10 acres and it surprisingly okay. looks a lot like the part of Minnesota I came from except warmer most of the time. Not yeah. right now, it's 40 degrees out here, 48. And uh, we have a goat and chickens and probably a bit more small farm than anybody else for miles around here. We don't have any horses or cows. but Was it a purposeful decision then to live that way in a place like that? Had you ever considered living in a, a larger population center? Well, being in Fargo, like I said, felt like the big city. And I could have went to a bigger place like Nashville. But uh, I decided to settle down here with... My, my second husband, Mark, and we had our daughter. I was talking to him earlier, and he said he could never think of living in a bigger population center, especially with a child nowadays. He would have wanted yeah. to move to somewhere like this farm. Okay, interesting. How old is your daughter? She's 12, and she feels it that she's not into pop culture and in the moment and lots of friends out here. She's the only child for five, six miles. Hmm. But uh, she also says she feels like she lives in the forest and is more attuned to the forest and to nature than anybody. And nobody really understands what a forest is in her class. Really? Well, that's another thing, a question I have then is, do you feel you are an exception to live in that rural life the way you do? It sounds like your daughter, it is for your daughter, if she must be bused to school in a larger community and most people live around there. So... Do you feel that you are an exception, or is it still a fairly common thing, at least in your part of the state? I feel like we're more of an exception for having children out here in the middle of nowhere. I've been told that we need to move into town and get her cable TV. Uh -huh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we try to live with the seasons and with what we've got out here, and maybe more people even that live out here are trying to do street lights and high-speed internet and, hmm. than we are, so... What do you do for a community? Is it a big effort to find other people to socialize with, if that's a priority? Yes, it would be a very big effort. Uh, we've got my mother-in-law up the road, and the only other people we know are either on the Internet or people that I work with. You know, setting up a, a time to go hang out with somebody, it's not like I'll meet you at the corner shop. It's, yeah. Uh, what are you doing this weekend? Can we all drive out to someplace? So do you feel that's something that's lacking in your life? Um, most of the time, it, it's nice to have isolation, the quiet. But, you know, you, mm. there are times when you just you want to get other people's viewpoints and you don't get a lot of that out here. Yeah. So I feel it more than I think my husband does. He's pretty happy being isolated and introverted. But uh, <laughs> I'd like to talk to more people. And this Putty Tribe, that's one of the reasons why I joined up is to talk to other people of similar mindset yeah well, i was wondering that i mean it, you can kind of put two and two together i guess you joined the group um last october 2019 had you been had you known about it for a while had you been thinking about it uh no i completely stumbled on it on an article and okay. going through a hard time because my dad had just died 
and mm. I went all the way to South Carolina and spent several weeks there. Mm-hmm. And when I came back, I guess uh, it just was the right time. I hit on that and did the little quiz and said, this looks like a cool place if I get in. And then the email came and I did my introduction <laughs> like everyone else does. Yeah, yeah, neat. Um, so do you identify it, I guess, equally as a multi-potentialite and that's who you are or as much for just having the community and, you know, people to uh, interact with, even if it's online, of course? I think I identified as a multi-potentialite back when I was a little kid. It's mm. just it's hard to find other people who get excited about everything like that. I wanted to be Da Vinci when I was little. <laughs> read stuff like that i want to do do math and art and gardening and most people would just be calm down do one thing mm, yeah. so reading things that emily has written about like that doing more than one thing not sticking to just one thing and that's okay yeah exactly that's okay hm. we we must have all of these interests and directions as humanity because we're meant to do this and sticking to one thing you're gonna miss out mm-hmm. huge universe out here oh yeah now, do you think your childhood had an impact on becoming a multipotentialite? Yes. I think it made you think more. There wasn't a lot of stuff going on. You're sitting there in the middle of the forest or by the creek or getting chased by a porcupine down a dirt road. <laughs> and <laughs> you, you do think about things a lot differently. You look down at the details. Again, I go to my daughter this morning was telling me about soil erosion layers out in our forest. And that nobody pays attention to things like that. But when you grow up this far away, that's what you look at. In the city, it would be different things, you know, subways and noise. and. Yeah. Well, now here's another interesting question. Do you recognize some of the same signs in your daughter of becoming a multipotentialite? Maybe she is already. Well, we did a couple of years of homeschooling. Hmm. And because she does ride like an hour on the bus. Hmm. And that's a lot of time for a younger kid. So uh, we did things, you know, art and theater things and plants and gardening and chickens. And she does have a lot of things she's interested in. I'm not sure if she'll be a multi-pod later in life or if that's just a necessity of growing up somewhere like this. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can imagine how that's it. The lifestyle forces people to learn different skills and be a little more self-sufficient. Perhaps a lot more depends uh, where you are, I guess. But uh, that that's got to foster some, well, what we would call multipotentiality. Essentially, exploring new things and being able to act on those opportunities that you wouldn't necessarily have, or maybe different opportunities being in the city. But I feel like it's a it's a more well rounded kind of existence, and and certainly childhood to grow up that way uh, gives you a good kind of balance and perspective on you know looking after yourself and being a little more self-sufficient and time time's the other thing isn't it like when i mean as much as it takes time to drive places and and stuff but life slows down when you live a bit more quietly and and more rural doesn't it you live out here in in the middle of nowhere yes you've got more things to do with yourself i'm wondering you know like in the 40s house that i grew up in there was just all this layers and layers of time that I was aware of. Things from 1900 in the house that had been there since mm-hmm. it was built and things that people had brought in. And I'd spent a lot of time looking through that, like an attic of memories some people would look through. Sure. Now, were you saying you grew up at least to a certain age, maybe full time in 
what you call the wilds of Minnesota, or was it more just a summer thing? No, it was a rural area, but we lived in the town until I was about eight or nine, and my own parents split up. My mom remarried the person, my stepfather, who had this farm, and then we lived out there weeks at a time and whole summers, and we'd go back to the house in town. And but so now I, I don't. We didn't live remotely full time. I'm actually getting a bit more of that here in Tennessee. Yeah, sounds like it. Well, I can relate to a lot of this. I I grew up in a small city, but at the in the country, at the edge of that city, and it was nice in a sense because you could drive five minutes and you'd be right into town. But we were very much in the country. We lived on a farm, a hobby farm, but surrounded by fields and all the rest. And um, you know, we felt very connected to nature as a result. And since then, my sister, who's a, a bit older than me, she moved to the west coast of Canada and a small island is called Cortez Island off the coast of Vancouver Island and it takes three ferries to get there and that's where she raised her kids so you know and it's it's very remote it's um i think there's maybe 700 people or so that live on this island year round they have to really plan ahead to you know kind of stockpile food and just other types of things that they might need again you can certainly go into a fairly large city and get the stuff you need, but it's a big effort. It takes many hours, again, at least a couple of ferries and all the rest. So people learn to be a lot more self-sufficient. And it was fascinating for us to watch the kids grow up that uh, that way. And they're um, a lot older now. They're like 17. My nephew's 19. So, you know, and, and now I guess it's interesting too, to see them emerge as adults coming out of that um, experience growing up there. And then school. School is a big issue because they were homeschooled uh, for most of the time until finally... It got to the point, as many families do on that island, there is no high school. There is an elementary school if you want to do that. It's a small one. A lot of people are still homeschooled, though, anyway. But eventually, you know, the kids need to go to high school. Either they're still homeschooled or or what most families do is they leave the island and they go to a big city, they rent an apartment or something for like three or four years. So that's basically what my sister did. And the kids at least had two or three years of like high school, which they enjoy. Again, that's interesting to see the transition from that extreme uh, isolated and rural existence mm. to being right in the heart of the city as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's such a different perspective for those kids. Like the forest was their playground and... They'd build forts and they'd garden and just so in touch with nature and everything. And they were certainly aware aware of the city and they'd visit, you know, family and grandparents and stuff like that from time to time. But it wasn't um, a big part of their existence just until the last couple of years. So, yeah, and, and I would go to visit for every once in a while. So, I, you know, I certainly get a sense for what it's like. And I don't know, for me, that's it's a fairly normal thing. And I've, I find myself asking myself, you know, do I prefer, therefore, the city or the country? I've lived in cities. I lived in Vancouver for a couple of years almost. And, um, you know, I really enjoy cities. I love visiting cities. I realize I don't like living in cities anymore. Uh, our city's not that big, but we kind of feel we miss the country even more. We may move to a place that's even quieter. So I'm always interested to gather the perspective of people that they like to slow things down. You know, they like to enjoy nature, the quiet and space, a space for sure. But then there's the impact of having your kids and their experience with the schooling as well. So um, yeah, just to see now your daughter, if she's 12, she must be getting close to high school. Is that going to mean uh, some more big changes for her? Uh, one of the bigger things is living this far out of town. She's never done anything like sports. Sports are a huge thing here, but you know, just the tra- traveling back and forth for team stuff that would have been 
mm. something we really couldn't do. Thinking about, uh, like you said, moving into the city, and we thought about better schools mm -hmm. than the one that we can reach from here. But it just we would be leaving this land. My husband was on this land before I was. Back, uh, they mm. got here in 1993, and they're still considered youngsters to the people who've always lived here. Mm. So there, there's a definite sense of time difference. And yeah. I know as she gets a little older more, there's going to be more internet connectivity. There's going to be more people she'll be talking to, Minecraft servers and things. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's it. You can kind of bridge both worlds, uh, at least with all of the digital connection we have nowadays. Asked my husband what he liked the most about living out here in the middle of nowhere. He says you can go out in the yard and whatever you do isn't going to bother anyone if you want to. Yeah, that's true. Use a chainsaw or mow the lawn or work on a car or be loud with something. There's no one going to hear us because the next person is 10, 20 acres in one direction. Sure. For me, it comes down to, I think about well, my wife and I, and, you know, bringing our kids who are, who are young, they're two and four years old, but we think of moving to a place that's even more in the countryside. And it's really facing that choice then, because, I mean, we're, we're, we're used to that. As I say, we've both kind of grown up that way and we, we like it, but sometimes, you know, you visit friends and family and stuff and they live right in the city and everything's in walking distance. You don't need a car probably. And, um, you know, there's, there's just, things happening uh, you can go maybe to like cultural events and, and events and activities festivals and it's all really close by and then hopefully that's the big factors that hopefully you have neighbors and a community and again it's easy walking distance maybe a nice little bike ride and it's like that's pretty nice you know i see the way a lot of people i know live and they're lucky in a sense they have that community but that's pretty appealing too and it's we do feel torn we do feel torn sometimes like well, if we live off in the country, it's in a nice property like yours, right, where you have lots of space and it's quiet and you can essentially do whatever you want and enjoy that, but then you got to get in the car and drive however many minutes um, just to see anybody. You can't kind of run to your neighbor next door because they could be, whatever, a 10-minute drive or something like that. So it's a big question, the toss-up, you know, which do we care for more? Do we want to be closer to community and all the, the ease, access, and the and the social interaction they're in or do we want to have our space do we want to be closer to nature do we want the quiet and all the rest so it's a pretty big um choice that that we're going to have to make and i don't know maybe there's more people thinking about that in this day and age uh yes what uh you said your children are two and four when my daughter was about that age mm -hmm. there are things like uh music lessons swimming lessons things that you know they sound wonderful yeah. i wish i could take her to expose her to these things you'd have to drive an hour to find it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because the opportunity isn't just there. I mean, it's not like the library's hosting an event, let's walk down there. Exactly, yeah. It's We find that out two weeks ahead of time and plan for it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think back to my sister and, and raising their kids. They were lucky on that island that there were other young families and other young kids and so on, and they could do things together. So you'd find a parent maybe who let's say was a musician and could show the kids how to play an instrument or maybe learn some art or maybe languages or, you know, and then they did homeschooling, of course, as well. It would be a bit more structured. But uh, I feel like that's got to be the compromise in a sense. As parents, we take on more of the um, responsibility, I guess, or direction for providing our kids those kinds of 
activities ourselves, right? And organizing it ourselves at home um, as much as we can, if we're going to live set in that remote existence. Yeah. Now, when you're talking about uh, everybody worrying about self-isolation mm-hmm. and worrying about the coronavirus, yeah. animals and planting gardens, they take time too. You're not going to be able to plant and harvest next month. What the world goes back to normal, what are you going to do? It's going to learn the skills and to have the skills when we need yeah. them. But Yeah, it's true. Well, speaking of skills and, and work too, I, I'm sure we're all curious about how you make a living, living where you do. I know you have a business. What kind of business do you have? Well, uh, that's business that I was doing was plumbing and kitchen and bath design. And that slowed down a little bit right now. I have to find another contractor who can do the showers. But I would go in and look at the space and decide what the customer can do in that space, mostly remodeling older homes and show them what's available, what can be done, find somebody who can help do it. And that, you know, being such a rural area, getting somebody who will go out to your home and show you those things, you can't bring your home to the store with you. So that was the reason I started it. I also have other things I do. I rural postal carrier. Go like a hundred miles on a route. Okay. <laughs> do you do that every day or is it a part time thing? Uh no, it's uh every other week for now. And then anytime they need me to fill in. And sometimes I deliver medical supplies to people out in the middle of nowhere. They call me and they send it to me and then I go out and find them and it's not really the middle of nowhere, but I mean it's hard to get down some of these little roads and call people and get time to meet them and Yeah. There's some actual rural aspects to the jobs I'm doing and I'm still looking for what I really want to do, though. I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. Yeah, there you go. Well, tell us about the book you wrote. It's called Time in December. That, it's kind of like a poetry story, as uh, Rita had said, looking at it. And uh, it's a girl coming to terms with her, she's blaming herself for her brother's death, but nobody knows if he died or not. It's it's kind of hard to explain, but that's about the best I can start out with and it's uh my first book it was like five six years in the making and i wanted to get it done for my dad he mm. never did get to read it though mm. and then i've got some short stories and poetry i'm working on yeah th- now the book just came out last uh, year didn't it just towards the end of last year yes in october right well, i looked it up on amazon i mean anyone can buy it it's either kindle or paperback so that's handy and there's a great review someone says um a book that I savored morsel by tiny morsel. Maybe you've seen this. And the ending just made my jaw clang on the pavement. We'll most definitely reread it from that new perspective. A real adventure for the brave and curious ones. That's a great review. That's tremendous. Yeah. I was surprised and uh, glad because at the end of the, it, I kind of twist it back on itself. And that was what I always liked reading other things. Hmm. That once you get done, just like life with different things that we do, you look back on it and it all means something different. Yeah. Had you had this particular story in mind for like many years? I had parts of it and it was kind of like a big math equation that wouldn't solve itself. Hmm. And finally, sometime last year, it began to fall into place. And I said, no, I don't want to write that story. But that was a story it had to be. That's interesting. So you, you kind of felt some resistance in finishing the story, even though you did finish it. Yes. It's like that. It's not. I was almost mad at it. Be mad at an inanimate object. That's not the way and a lot of writers do that. That's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not what happens to that character. Mm. And you're like, well, that, that is how it's going to work. That's what makes sense. It's 
I said, like a math equation that I didn't expect the, the middle to end out that way. Mm -hmm. Do you see um, yourself writing some other books? I have some short stories I've got working. It's called uh, House of Sunlight. Hmm. It's a collection of 12 or 14 stories. I'm still doing some editing on that and some illustrations. Mm -hmm. Time in December has several of my line art illustrations. Yeah. Because that. that's true. Uh, you're an artist. You've got a, um, you've got a blog called Knit Owl, like knitting, K-N-I-T-O-W-L. And uh, you talk a fair bit about the art that you do. I see some nice photography and stuff here, too. Thank you. <laughs> uh, drawing, painting, ink work, uh, sewing, knitting. I mean, I growing up, like I said, at the middle of nowhere, you learn to do a lot of things. The putty comp photography thing, hmm. I really hmm. enjoyed that and enjoying seeing what other people are putting up now. Hmm. Oh, yeah. And I really want to ask you about what you say you are a sinus... Synesthesiate. Synesthesiate. Okay. That's how I would say it. So, yeah, I really want to ask you about this, too. What's, uh, if you, you have synesthesia, what is that? That is the overlapping of your senses. So, when people say they might taste blue. Okay. Or you see a texture, and it's like you're feeling that texture. Music feels like light or color. It's just sort of the blending of the experience we have a bit more. And I didn't know other people didn't have it until I was at least a teenager. I thought everybody felt that way. How does it manifest for you? Like, is it a really kind of tangible, vivid thing, or is it a bit more subtle? I would say for me, it's a base part of my existence that I react to colors differently. I definitely react to sounds differently. Hmm. And I can't explain things the way most people would want me to like tastes or feelings because happiness is a color for me and a color is happiness okay i open up this book and it's got a beautiful cover and beautiful ink in it i'm not just reading a book i'm experiencing the book huh. as a physical object and a story and i've read other people's ideas synesthesiates we don't all feel the same way right. it's like some people don't like italian food say experience cilantro differently is a scientific one. Oh yeah i know that's like yeah it tastes like soap to me <laughs> but yeah. my wife loves it <laughs> but synesthesiates some of them see numbers and words as certain colors and that's as far as it goes huh. some of them will smell a smell and that has a color and a feeling and an emotion with it so do you find you have a facility to put that into words, to be able to explain it to, I guess, those of us who it's hard, a bit harder to grasp what it's really like to feel that way? Well, I think I might have the ability to put it into words, but I'm not sure if I can make it understandable. <laughs> yeah. And other people, depending on how much they might have experienced something like that, could add and understand it. And other people couldn't at all. There's some people who have no visual components to their memories an article about that not long ago and that's just how do you not have a visual picture in your head when someone says something synesthesiates kind of the same way how do you not see a color when you're eating food <laughs> yeah interesting and it depends i guess on each food of course the taste that you have in your mouth and that generates a color a colorful experience like in the movie ratatouille when he's describing adding different flavors together okay that's a good example yeah that image yeah, that image of like looking at that going, that's a great example of one version of synesthesia. Hmm. On my artwork, there are three ladies doing a Christmas program. 
and singing in front of Christmas tree and lights and everything. And I tried to take what they sang as the song in the three-part harmony and do it as a drawing. And it's very similar to what you might see in an audio file of all the ups and downs and different okay. colors weaving around. Yeah. So there's some mathematics and science to it as well. Sure, yeah. When did you find out about that term? When did you start to identify that way? I, well, good question. I think it was on the internet and read that other people have something similar and that it's rare. And I'm saying, okay, turn around to the people next to me and ask them questions and realize that I'm looking at a different world than they are. Yeah, well, that's just it. I guess you don't know until you realize other people don't share that same experience. When I was a little child, I would tell my mom that I didn't like certain type of way she cooked chicken, hmm. and that it tasted blue or tasted gray. Hmm. She never told me that that was not something people ever said. She did think it was weird. <laughs> but only when I read that article later, I said, that's why she never understood me. Yeah, interesting. So, I mean, do you see, coming back to like the main topic here today, do you see yourself staying where you are now, kind of indefinitely, like the rest of your life? Um, I do. I'm seeing, actually, neighbors and things encroaching more. Hmm. Uh, you hear, actually, people going by in the road more often now than ever. Hmm. People are selling off their properties into parks and more houses are being built. So pretty soon we won't be in the middle of nowhere. I know that. <laughs> Interesting, yeah. That'll be a big change. So I like where I'm at, but I know that it's not going to be mm -hmm. this way. Wow, that adds a whole other element. And the time is ticking down, even if it's not tomorrow, but if you know that eventually it will change a lot. Would that force you to move? Do you think you would consider moving? Well, if it was just for myself, I might. I might move to a bigger city and be in a smaller apartment, but that wouldn't work well for my husband or my child right now. And I don't know. I think I'm more of a nomad than they are, actually. I like being here. I like this land and all the things that I've planted and grown. And mm -hmm. Do you find an appeal in traveling, in theory at least, in traveling to explore, discover other remote places in the world, like where Alberto lives, for example? And then, you know, there's lots of examples around the world. Are you curious to see how other people live remotely and what it's like there? Very much so. I would love to see how they interna interact and connect with where they're at. Yeah. And I think whoever the people are living in that remote area would just completely change than just going out to a remote area mm -hmm. and hearing from them their history and what they like about where they're at. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Um, I would really like to collect stories like that in art about places that maybe being a synesthesiate as well the people in a place change the place for me. Yeah, that's a good point too. Huh. It reminds me of a podcast I found recently. It's called Extremities. It's easy to find. You just search for Extremities. And it's a kind of a travel podcast, I guess. It's uh, They have a bit of a budget. It's kind of a group of um, you know producers and so on. And they go and explore remote places in the world. So I listen to a short series. They usually do it in kind of short episodes of 20 minutes, maybe five or six to a series. And I listen to one where they go to St. Helena, which is a small island um, kind of off the coast of South Africa, but it's really out there in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, the South Atlantic Ocean. It's famous, of course, for where Napoleon was... Uh, was cast off when he was captured for the last time and he died there and that was kind of the island's claim to fame. But it's technically a British yeah, territory 
And in this show, they explore the lives of people who live there, right, in the middle of nowhere and how they have a tenuous connection with the rest of the world, even with internet and stuff, you know, it's not super fast. And of course, they rely on shipments coming in. But an underlying context to the whole episode was that they just built their first airport ever. It was a major, major undertaking. They needed tons of investment from the British government and so on to simply build it an airstrip that was long enough and flat enough to be able to have flights. Before that, they were only served by boats. And there's a decent size, I forget. There's a few thousand people that live on the island. It's not like a few hundred. So it's a reasonable sized community. But they all have this in common, right? Is that they live in this incredibly remote place, like the speck of an island in the middle of the ocean. And they all have their stories of how they came there. Some people were born there. But, um, you know, you hear the community that grows out of it. So it's an interesting series to check out. It's called Extremities. We'll put it in the notes for this show. Yeah, I'll check that out. And just thinking about an island having that much space devoted to the airport, mm. how much of an undertaking that was. Yeah, that was the challenge. Yeah. They had to do like terraforming kind of thing to like build enough soil to kind of extend over the edge of this mountain and obviously, you know, really reinforced and all the rest to simply have a, a runway that could be long enough. It was a real, it was touch and go and the, like the winds and everything blowing off the ocean. Like you'd think, well, maybe they'd have some little airstrip like an Easter Island or somewhere else. They couldn't even have that until they had the money to build this airport, which then, of course, changes the whole experience. Like instead of it taking four or five days to get to South Africa to Cape Town by ship, now they can fly there in three hours, you know? Imagine the changes to that overnight. Yeah. Yeah. Just that would change everything out here where we're at. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I'd say, I love exploring this topic. Maybe we'll come back to it again. I think there's – I'm pretty sure there's quite a few putty peep who – live remotely or you know maybe travel and experience some of that uh, kind of lifestyle and it brings a lot of us together and as we say we always come back to well it's the beauty of the internet and connection in this day and age that we can we can be connected and find that community even when we live so remotely but uh, we feel a little more closer to each other than we may be physically so it's thanks to the internet it's thanks to the putty tribe that uh, we're able to do stuff like this and it's been great to get to know your story, your background, and your perspective on all of this. So thanks very much for being on the show. Thank you very much. I, I really appreciate it, Ted. Cheers. And uh, thank you for sharing some about your family as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, I, I can definitely relate to your story, too. <laughs> You know, one thing I really enjoy about doing this show and doing these podcasts, you you record interviews and you get to know people. Uh, Marie and I are a good example. We we never met. We just chatted a bit over the forum there and text, and then it was nice to connect and live in person. We weren't even using video, of course. We were saving some bandwidth, so it was just like an audio phone call kind of thing. And I thought it went pretty well when we recorded it. But I love going back and listening through and editing a bit down and kind of cleaning it up. And you realize, yeah, that was a that was a fun conversation. We really covered an awful lot, a lot of interesting topics and kind of bounced around in a true multi-potentialite fashion, you know, from one thing to another. And it all kind of links together through through the personality and the character of the person in question. So you get a, a really nice, full kind of round view of what Marie, in this case, is like. It's great. I really like doing that. It's a satisfying result to doing this show. So again, I hope you enjoyed that and gives you a little bit of inspiration as we're all adapting to this uh, 
current situation that we're all living in being much more isolated than we're used to. Well, with that in mind, there are a couple of Putty Pete profiles that I'd love to share with you, starting with Deepti Kanapan, who is in California, United States, and currently into sci-fi writing, climate change, and taking multipod vacations. They started a uh, thread on the forum under the title of Multipod Vacations and No Projects for Six Weeks, which was something that uh, kind of a headline that grabbed a lot of people. You can check it out. It was just back in like February, a few weeks ago from when we're recording this. But uh, an interesting concept, right? To imagine as a multipod, like taking a break, putting everything aside, all the projects, all the things you're always scrambling, trying to find time to do and fit them in and make sense of. Imagine putting all that aside and just having no projects which they say meant no goals and no pressure, enforced by restricting the notebooks that uh, they use because there's different notebooks for different purposes. But it's interesting to see some of the results of this, as Deepti points out, and ended up doing the things that are always the lower priority, of course, in the, in the normal course of things, like cleaning and errands and exercise and planning and systematizing the projects, organizing old notes, things like that. The things that get lost and forgotten or set aside, but uh, as they say, we're sorely needed to be done, so it was a chance to kind of catch up on things too. And the ultimate result, of Deepti says, that they took six weeks to think about project priorities, and as usual, they were immediately tempted to work on each of them, but since they couldn't give in to the temptation, ended up thinking about the big picture instead. So it certainly reminds you of, you know, taking a diet or a break, a pause from something as a habit or a routine, and sticking with it for probably a few weeks. And seeing what the results are like, that was the intention and the theme. So it was an interesting one, and it got Deepti recognized as a Putty Peep of the Week. Now, you can find their profiles, uh, Twitter, Canapan. so it's D-K-A-N-N-A-P-A-N is a Twitter profile, and also the same profile name on Medium, medium.com is a writer there. So that's Deepti, our first Putty Peep of the Week. Secondly, we have Sven, Sven Sommer, who lives in Berlin, Germany, currently into storytelling, performance arts, business skills, and bringing multipods together. Uh, Sven is someone I need to talk to. Since 2016, he's the co-owner of a recording studio offering services for audiobooks and podcasting, freelancing since 2011 in various fields like marketing, building websites, designing corporate media, and uh, much more. But like so many of us, he's always been in search of the one thing to focus on until he discovered that there's something like multi-potentiality. Sven is another new member, just joined in the beginning of January of this year, 2020. And some of his many other interests include the spa slash sauna, <laughs> enjoying nature, mountains, the sea, playing guitar, playing drums, immersive experiences, storytelling, organizing, developing ideas, business models, project management, on that theme, you can find him on LinkedIn. It's Sven Sommer, so S V E N S O M M E R 932505A5. All this is on his profile. We'll put a link to it. Or he's got his own website. It's svensom.de, S V E N S O M.de. So, Sven, this sounds very interesting. We'll, uh, we'll have to get you on our show here and get some of your perspective on audio productions and, of course, podcasting and uh, some of your background and insight, not to mention all of your other interests. So uh, reach out to us or we'll be in touch. We'll talk to you soon. So that's Sven. He's our second Putty P profile for this week. So with everything that's uh, going on these days, 
we're trying to do our part here at the Multipod, and I know the Putty Tribe in general is really responding, I think responding quite well to this crisis, you know, where people are suddenly facing such a major change in, in their life, in their routines, and of course work is, in, is a huge impact and money and income and all the rest. Uh, one thing we can really do is just try to stay connected, try to stay positive, certainly, and take it a day at a time. Enjoy as best we can this change, you know, if you now have more time at home, time, of course, with your family and friends and loved ones or the people you live with, as we're all sequestered away. But as I say, it doesn't just have to be in person. This is where we can really reach out and make the most of it in a digital form. And one thing we like to do here with the Multipod is talk to more people about their experiences as this uh, virus pandemic uh, sticks around and who knows how long it's going to last. So we're going to put an, an announcement on the forum, but um, if you're listening to this too, you can certainly reach out if you'd like to share your story. Now, obviously, this is if, if you're comfortable doing so, if you want to be on the podcast, if you're comfortable with your story and your message and your voice getting out there, but... I mean, it's fun, and lots of people enjoy it. It's a way to really stay connected and hear the voices, hear the people, and not just the names, not just the text that you get on the forum, but actually get the personality and so on behind it. So this is one of our objectives, is to to get those stories and to hear from real people, whether it's kind of a one-on-one conversation like we usually do. We're thinking we will try to get maybe a little group conversation going on, on Zoom. It's easy to record and and we can just kind of uh, get a few people to share our feelings and our perspectives on this whole thing. And, and of course, it doesn't have to be super long. If you just want to share a few thoughts, uh, say a few minutes, that's fine too. We can put it all together. So we may come out with um, a bit more content as a result over the next few weeks, I guess, however long this lasts. But uh, play it by ear and, and see what we can manage. But we want to be there for you and keep us all as connected as possible. So stay tuned and feel free to reach out. You can leave any of us a message. Myself, Fly Ted is my profile on the Putty Tribe. Uh, there's Vanessa, of course. There's Sarah. And you can reach us by email, themultipodcast at gmail.com. And lots of ways to get in touch, and we'll be in touch with you for sure. Thanks, as always, for listening, and we'll be back again in your ears before too long. Take care, everybody. Take care, everybody.